Our scripture this morning comes from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, can anyone withhold the water of baptizing water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they were invited, then they invited him to stay for several days. This is God's good word for us, God's beloved people. Thanks be to God. So I contend that the writer's room for lifetime original movies and for the Hallmark Channel, and for most romantic comedies are the most lazy writer's rooms out there because it is the same plot over and over and over again. When, they, when you grow up in the theater, they teach you there are only six great plots in all of English drama. Okay, fine, there's only one plot in Lifetime original movies. I swear to God, these things must be written via Mad Libs. They sit in a writer's room, they have a Mad Libs for formula on the whiteboard, they fill it in, they hand it to the production team, they grab whatever centuries costumes we're wearing today. Oh, it's the 17th century today. Lovely. Oh, we're in the 1940s this week? Fantastic. Everyone gets a hat now. We're in the early 2000s, everyone gets a sweater. Right? Like, that is, that is just how it works. I'm going to show you, right? We're going to write, we are going to write a Lifetime original movie right now, uh, together, Mad Lib style, okay? So I need your help, because I, first service did great, you, this is going to be fun. Okay, so Mad Lib to write our own Lifetime original movie, I need um, a he or she, he or she. Pick, no, just he or she. She, okay? She, okay, I need a job, literally any job. Court reporter, okay. Not one we had last time. Reporter, okay. Now I need a kind of a place. I need a place. Any place. Mountains, great. Okay, now I need another place. Circus, there we go. Now we're getting into it. Okay, now I need a reason for going on a trip. Any reason to go on a trip. A honeymoon, okay? This is going to be awkward. Um, okay, I need a job. I need another job. Trash man. Weirdly also showed up last service. That we, are, we have trash on the mind today. Now I need any kind of social gathering. Any social gathering. Concert. There we go. Concert. Uh, now I need he or she again. He, okay? And now I need an object. Any object. Shoe. Shoe. Fantastic. Okay? Now I need an event. Any kind of event. Wine tasting. Wine tasting. You are actually writing one of these, Scott. <laughs> okay, now I need a verb. Any action word. Run. Okay, now I need another kind of place. Any place. Disneyland. I want to go to Disneyland. And now lastly, I need one more job. One more job. 
Huh? Mail carrier. I used to have one of those that slept through every single worship service he was ever in. Okay. Um, now I will give you our very own Lifetime original movie as written in about the same amount of time as all other Lifetime original movies. Um, she is a court reporter from the mountains living in a circus. She goes back home for a honeymoon. He is a trash man who never left their hometown. They bump into each other at a concert. He knows it's love at first sight, but she does not. He begins to try and win her love by buying her a shoe, um, by planning a wine tasting, and even making her go on a run, all to be rejected. Finally, after a near miss at Disneyland, she finally sees the light and falls in love with him as well. They, they get married and start their new lives together as happily married mail carriers. It is as, as, pl yeah, it is as plausible as all of the other ones. You would watch that movie and you would believe it, right? And probably enjoy it and probably cry at the end as they bump into each other at Disney World and become mail carriers. I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. I get that reaching out to people is not quite like a romantic comedy. But there still involves a choice. Whether you are going to play hard to get, like our... A court reporter from the mountains, or if you are going to do amazingly loving things to reach the people, like our trash man who buys a shoe, maybe should have gotten more than one, um, and plans a wine tasting and takes them on a run. That would not win my love, I confess. But we need, we have the choice. Are we going to play hard to get? Or are we going to do amazingly and sometimes shockingly loving things to reach people, right? Uh, romantic comedies set up both as an option. What are we as Christians going to do for a world that needs to be reached? And what we see from Peter in all of Acts chapter 10 is that perhaps the goal of the church, perhaps the goal for us as Christians, is to be on the shockingly loving end rather than the playing hard to get end. That we should be the ones running through the rain, carrying the flowers as the taxi drives away, and not the person in the taxi sticking your, sticking your heads out the window to see if anyone is running after us, right? To look at what I mean by this, we actually have to look at all of Acts chapter 10. We can't just zoom into the four verses that I read this morning. I could have just stood up here and said, and this morning we are going to read Acts chapter 10 verses 1 through 48. But everyone would start looking at their watches and going, hey, I've got Mother's Day brunch to get to. I've got to go. Uh, so we're going to read selected passages from Acts chapter 10 to get a sense of the whole scope of it. And Acts chapter 10 doesn't open on Peter. It opens on this guy named Cornelius, and Cornelius has a dream. And I'll read you this dream. Um, it is Acts chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. 
One afternoon, at about three o'clock, he, Cornelius, had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius! He st stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? He answered, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now, send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the seaside. On the surface, this doesn't sound all that remarkable. Uh, Cornelius seems like a really charitable guy, that his alms, that his giving of alms, his giving of charity has reached God. And he seems like, obviously, he's a very God-fearing guy. That When the, an angel shows up in his dream, he's terrified in the good way, not terrified in the horror movie way, just in awe of God's presence, going, oh, hey, hi there, God, oh, what, do you, what do you need from me, right? So he's a God-fearing, charitable guy. What's the big deal? Well, I deliberately didn't read for you verses 1 and 2. Because you see, uh, Cornelius is not a Jew. Cornelius is a Gentile from Italy who is a leader in the Roman army. He is a Roman centurion. He is like big guy with armor and sword bossing troops around uh, to keep um, it, the nations of Judea um, and Galilee and Samaria in line. This is a Roman Gentile, Ita Roman Italian soldier who has just been told by God, um, your care for me and your care for my people have reached me. Now go find Peter to take the next step, right? This is very surprising. Not for us, because we're Gentiles, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But this is the first time in Scripture that you have God talking directly to a Gentile as a way of praising them and saying, you have done well, now take the next step. This is a brand new thing that is happening. Luckily, Peter also has a dream, although I confess um, his dream is absolutely nuts. Um, and so here, uh, verses 9 through 16. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven open. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. And the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. I have a painting of what this might have looked like. Um, I, I don't want to eat a giraffe either. This is not about food, let's be clear. Right, doesn't that look super appetizing? Of that, I've eaten two of those animals. I've eaten alligator and I've eaten snake. Maybe not that snake. Um, but if anyone's eat, eaten hippopotamus, oh, I've eaten ostrich, um, but I don't keep kosher. This is not just 
a vision about food. This is a vision about how Peter has been living his life up until now. And up until now, Peter has been living his life as a truly devout Jew. He's a good practicing Jew, and this is before there's a separation between Jews and Christians. Christians were just good Jews. And so that means Peter had kept kosher. He had not eaten reptiles. He had not eaten shellfish. He had not eaten pigs. He had not eaten animals that were prepared in the wrong way. But also, it means that Peter would have stayed clear of Gentile humans, that he would not have interacted with Gentiles, that he would not have kept company with Gentiles, that he would not have gone in to a Gentile's house. Because part of sticking to the rules of Judaism as defined at the time was to separate yourself as much as possible from the Gentiles, particularly Roman Gentiles, who were the evil empire. And so you have a member of said evil empire, a leader in it, a soldier in it, receiving a message from God, and you have Peter, the devout Jew, who had always stuck to the rules. In the words of romantic comedies everywhere, how is it going to work? It works because Peter listens to that dream. It works because Peter hears what God is saying to him, and understands this isn't about food. This is about people. And this is about the people that are about to walk up and knock on his door and say, Hi, Peter, I'm a Roman soldier representing another Roman soldier. Will you come with me to a lot of Roman soldiers and talk to them about God? And Peter says, Yes. Yes, I will. I will go to, the, um, I will go to Disneyland. I will go. And he does. And when he gets there, Peter, in classic Peter fashion, doesn't hold back his words and, and talks about how weird and different what is happening is. That is verses 28 and 29. And he said to them, this is Peter talking to this whole crew of, of Roman Gentiles that have now been assembled to listen to him. And he said to them, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate or to visit a Gentile. But God has... God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So, when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now, may I ask you why you sent for me? He names that this is way different from him. And this is shocking even for him that he's going to be here, that look, I would normally have turned this down because I don't want to become ritually unclean. I don't want to lose my standing in the faith I practice. But God told me to go, and so, and God told me to love, and therefore, here I am. And this is where, probably for us, as largely a group of Gentile Christians, largely in a faith made up of Gentile Christians, largely having only known or largely known other Gentile Christians, where we think to ourselves, yeah, what's the big deal? Of course we get to be here. Of course we get to be here. The whole Bible seems, the whole New Testament seems to say the Gentiles get to be here. Well, you ever paused and thought why they needed to say over and over and over and over again that the Gentiles need to be here? It's because for the early church, that was a radical change and not one that was made easily. They had grow up, grown up in a culture that for a thousand years had said, 
keep as far away from the Gentiles as humanly possible. How do we survive exile? By staying as far away from the Gentiles as humanly possible. How do we survive in Egypt? By staying as far away from the Gentiles as humanly possible. How do we survive being conquered by Rome? Don't let the Romans in. Keep strong. Stay strong. That's why it's such a big deal when the... When the, when the Pharisees in the temple hierarchy hand Jesus over to the Romans, that's a super big betrayal of what they've been teaching. All of the disciples in the early church were raised on stay away from the Gentiles and hate the Romans. They are the evil empire who are ruining everything that God loves. And then Peter hears from God to go do the exact opposite of that, to go and love them in shocking and profound ways. And it was hard for the early church to hear. We know it's hard because actually if you read chapter 11 of Acts, it is the church holding like a big church meeting to debate and vote whether Peter did a good thing or did a bad thing. The early church wrestled with it. We know instinctively as Gentile Christians, and we know, because we know the end of the story, that Peter did 100% right. But it was risky and costly for Peter. Peter was risking his standing in the church. Peter was risking his ritual purity. Peter was risking a lot. This was a really shocking thing that Peter did, that Peter even went to these guys. And then when they clearly saw the Holy Spirit move, that Peter was like, let's baptize them. Dunk them now. Now's the time. And then Peter stays with them in Christian fellowship, welcoming them as full members of the community. All of those things don't sound shockingly loving to us because we didn't grow up in Second Temple Judaism. But in the thought world, the early church, this rocked their world with how loving Peter was willing to be of Gentiles. And as often happens when people listen to God and do what God asks them to do, God shows up in a mighty way. And that's what's happening in our actual scripture this morning, the end of the story, verses 44 through 48. When Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word, the circumcised believers and all who had come with, excuse me, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They then invited him to stay for several days. This is a full-on, like, Pentecost part to the sequel moment, right? This is a straight-up sequel to Pentecost. All of the same things happened, but instead of devout Jews in a room about this size, it's a bunch of Gentiles outside on the public square. You have the Holy Spirit coming down. You have the gift of tongues and extolling God. You have a crowd shocked by what was happening, but this time it's the people who had already experienced Pentecost Part 1, the prequel, to Pentecost Part 2, the sequel. This is Pentecost Part 2, the sequel equal, but Gentiles this time. And so clearly, Peter was hearing God. And clearly, Peter was moving in God's direction. And clearly, that meant God was leading Peter to love Gentiles who were not normally meant to be loved 
in shocking ways, actively seeking them as the person holding the flowers running after the taxi, not the person in the taxi looking back to see if they're being chased. Peter is the one showing up with the shoe and the wine tasting and the what we, we made and, and going on a run. Peter is the one going out of his way to love in truly astounding ways. And at this point, probably, y'all are thinking, man, I love it when the church does that. Man, we are so good at that sometimes. It's so great when the church can be that loving. But here's, here's, here's the thing, friends. We're not always that good at being this kind of loving. I, I'm going to tell you the, the parable, which is not actually a parable at all. It's a real story. Uh, the parable of the chip basket. Um, some time ago in a place not all that far from here, uh, there was a church out in the middle of nowhere. It's not our sister church. It's a different church than the true middle of nowhere that I have served in my time. Um, and this church loved to do fellowship dinners. This was just the thing they were super into. They were super into fellowship dinners. And so they built a whole, built a whole fellowship hall they maybe didn't need so they could hold these fellowship dinners. And there was a very precise way that all of these fellowship dinners went. You put the chicken here on this plate with this fork. And you put the jello-based salad thing here in this container with this spoon. And you put the thing that's a salad, we call a salad, but definitely involves mayonnaise and no vegetables uh, here on this platter with this serving instrument. And the chips go here with this doily in this container right here. Okay, fine. So a young man in the congregation who had grown up in the congregation, but was now an adult and wanted to come back to church. He had a girlfriend who did not grow up in that church or any church. And he wanted to introduce his new girlfriend that he's super excited about to his church family and maybe pull her into this whole church thing that she just didn't grow up with. And this young woman, to her credit, she's early 20s, she wants to dive in and help the other women, because that's just how it went in that church, that it was the women that set up the fellowship dinners. I'm not saying that's how it should be. I'm just saying that's what happened. She wanted to help, which is great, right? And so she walked into the kitchen full of serving elements and she pulled down a bowl at random and she picked up a bag of chips and she poured the chips into a bowl um, and she set them down on the counter somewhere. And then a long-standing member of that congregation walked up to that bowl, picked up the bowl, returned the chips to the bag, put the bowl away, went and got the correct chip basket, put the correct chip doily in the chip basket, and then poured the chips back in and set them down in the proper place on the serving line in full view of this poor 20-something woman who just wanted to help. What message was communicated to her that day? I understand it sounds small, right? It's just a bag of chips, darn it. But what was communicated to that young woman that day? You don't belong. If you can't live up to our exact standards of behavior right now, you have no place in this church. 
This church is not for people who don't understand. This is, only, this is a church only for people who know where the stinking chips go, you fool. And lo and behold, that young woman never came back to that church. And it was a missed opportunity. And I wish this was an isolated incident, but y'all know what I'm talking about. Those times when the church doesn't play shockingly loving person with the flowers and the shoe and the wine tasting, chasing the taxi through the rain, running through the airport in violation of airport security, uh, to, you know, there to say one last I love you before they fly off to Addis Ababa or wherever, right? When we are instead that person playing hard to get saying, no, 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 you've got to be exactly the way I need you to be or you're not welcome here. Friends, the acts of unearned love that we are able to pour into the world make a huge difference. When I was about five-ish years old, we moved to Houston for the second of four times. Um, and I lived far away from my grandparents. Um, my uh, One set of grandparents lived in College Station, about 90 minutes, two hours away from us. The others lived in Illinois, which might, be, might as well be on the moon when you're five years old. Um, and my mom uh, befriended this lady in the choir named Sammy Milam. Um, and she, I was like a per weird, precocious child, which I know really surprises you, as normal as I turned out. But at the time, I was like a weird, precocious kid. Um, and I didn't have grandparents in my life. Uh, I would see them, we would visit, but on that like day to day, week in, week out, go to grandparents' day at school, you know, do the grandparent, you know, God, grandparent, godparent type things at church. I didn't have that. And so Sammy decided, especially as she didn't have, you know, grandkids yet, that I was going to be her adopted grandkid. I called her my godmother. Um, she isn't. I was five. She was ageless. I actually have no, I to this day have no idea how old she is. She could be 60 or 105. She is ageless. But I knew in her adopting of me that it was unearned love. I was just this weird, precocious kid that she had no responsibility to. And she became another grandparent. She still is a confidant and a grandparent and a godparent to me. And I knew that was love I didn't deserve. It was love I hadn't earned. It was love that no one owed me. And so it taught me a lot about what being a Christian is and what being the church is and about how we should love and certainly help form me who I am today. And so we can think, I bet, we can all find in our memories people who loved us in that way. And if we're talking here on Mother's Day, this idea of mothering is perhaps proactive love. Shockingly proactive love. It makes a huge difference in the lives of people. Especially people who are lonely. People who think they're about to be rejected people who have been pushed to the margins of God's world. It can help bring them from the margins, draw that circle wide, and remind us all that God's love is for everyone. And God calls us not to be the aloof and hard to get, requiring everything be exactly right, 
but to be that person at the end of every Lifetime original movie, sprinting through Disneyland, shoe and wine tasting in hand, trying to catch their lover in the rain to apologize or say they love them or whatever, right? That's us. You want an image of what the body of Christ should be, how shockingly loving we should be? Imagine it's raining. Imagine you're You've busted through airport security and you're chasing this person down to the airport just to say you're sorry or that you love them or that they forgot their shoe. Or whatever. Banana. So first, you want to know, if you want to know what first service said, uh, first service said it was a banana and planned a rodeo and made it rain. So y'all seem almost normal compared to them. Also, the reason they came home is because they were a fugitive, <laughs> which I love. My challenge to us all is to love like that. To do something shockingly loving for someone who isn't expecting it. Do something shockingly loving for someone who doesn't think they can be loved. Cornelius could not have been expecting Peter to agree to this. And yet there, Peter was. And even Peter was kind of confused, but he was like, I, well, I can't argue with God, so here I am, friends. And the Holy Spirit moved, and this miraculous thing occurred. And we all get to be included in the body of Christ because of guys like Peter going out and reaching Gentiles. We need to do the same. We need to get out there. Do acts of shocking love to people who are not expecting it. To run through the rain that all may know the depth of God's love for them. Let us pray. Gracious, loving God, we give you thanks for the shocking acts of love that we have been the recipients of. May we not just be recipients, but we may we also get out there and share it. May we be like Peter that goes and loves in ways that no one expected him to, and in that way, brought in these folks, not to the outside, but right into the center of the body of Christ. May we live in that example. May we share that love. May we get out there and in that way, make disciples and transform this world of yours and ours. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. I invite you to grab the hands of the people around you, form one united body in Christ as we depart this worship with a blessing. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. God loved us in shocking ways. May we take that love and in turn love in that same way. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.